Such a joy to be here with you all. We want to say thank you, Maureen, my wife. Why don't you wave? And Asher and Alex, our two boys are with us. Our girls are out of the house. But uh, what a joy to be with you. And um, I'm so thankful to have an amazing father who's here also. Al, why don't you wave? God's blessed me with an incredible father. So happy Father's Day to you and all the fathers out there. I know, Sean, thank you for your prayer. You're an amazing father. We've watched you father your wonderful children amazingly. But uh, what a gift we have to be the body of Christ, isn't it? Thank you for the worship this morning. It really ministered to my heart. And Maureen and I want to just give a, a huge thank you to this church for partnering with us in our ministry these years. Uh, First Prez has been a friend to us for many years and a supporting church for the last couple of years. And we're just so blessed by the, your generosity and willingness to partner, like going to Europe with us to serve refugees. So thank you for that. It's a joy to be here to focus on our third value as a church. So um, Pastor Shannon mentioned to me that you've been um, on this mini-series, and you've done two weeks already, which the first one, Love All People Unconditionally. And then secondly, serve our neighbors generously. And so today we're going to look at advancing God's kingdom or his purpose globally. And I just love that. What a great value. And uh, I wish I could hear and maybe I'll listen into the, the sermons in the following ones on pouring into the next generation, which I was so excited to see your worship team have amazing young men in it. Praise God for that. And then cultivating spiritual growth continuously. What great values. I want to commend First Presbyterian Church for amazing values. So we're going to look at this third one today, and um, I want to do it in a special way because today is not only Father's Day, but it's World Refugee Day. And so we're going to push into this third value by loving and identifying with displaced people. So um, today, World Refugee Day, just to give you a little background, um, every 20th of June uh, since 2001, um, it's a day to commemorate uh, the 1951 Convention on Refugees and the status of refugees. It was to bring unity in celebrating strength, courage, and perseverance of millions of displaced people. It's this incredible day for us to stop and pause and reflect on Guess how many um, refugees are in the world today? Would anyone want to guess? 80 million displaced people in the world today. That's about 1%, right, of the world's population. Amazing. What is a refugee? Let's look at the definition. A person who has been forced to leave their home country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Now we've expanded this to understand that not only are there official refugees that have been placed through the, the process to become a recognized refugee in a foreign country to their homeland, but there's also these millions of displaced people that are in the process and act and live um, similar to refugees. And so um, there's 47, 45 million of them are internally displaced. So they might still be in their home country, but not in their homeland. And they've been forced out 
because of some kind of conflict or struggle. There's another 26 of them that have this official refugee status that have gone through the process and are recognized in that way by the United Nations. And then there's another 4 million who are in the process of applying for asylum. They're, They're trying to get that status. So that's what we talk about as a displaced people. And that's what I want to focus on today as we look at some scriptures that encourage us to see our identity as refugees, as sojourners, as people who are alien and strangers to this world. Amen? I love this quote from Ali Jihad, who is a refugee. And he said, you know, most refugees at some point in our lives were just living. We got up, we went to work, we hated Mondays. (laughs) And I love that quote just because the point of it is we're just regular people just like you. And we have our own hopes and dreams and shattered dreams and brokenness, and we're trying to struggle on in this world. And wouldn't it be just like God to want us, his people, this holy nation, this called out people, to identify as people on a journey to their true homeland, living as sojourners, as aliens and strangers? Isn't it just like God to choose that as our posture? And that's why he called Abraham to go, to leave, and to be a sojourner in a foreign land, because he was wanting him to long for something much greater. Amen? We're going to look at an amazing scripture from 1 Peter. So if you want to open your Bibles and greetings to everyone online, um, I send you greetings and blessings to the Lord. May you be blessed, all of us, by God's word. Let me just pray as we get into his word. But if you want to turn to 1 Peter 1, we're going to be focused there for a bit. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you Because you are a God of the brokenhearted. You are a God who makes the orphan a son or a daughter. You are the God who redeems a lost world and gives us an inheritance in an eternal kingdom. And for that, we just praise you. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this, you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, gener- uh, the, the testing of your faith, though more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is writing this to what he describes at the opening verses of 1 Peter. He says of himself, Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the elect exiles scattered abroad to the elect exiles scattered that's who he's addressing this to he's addressing it to not only the jews that had been scattered as a part of the diaspora um, because of um, the previous persecutions on their people 
But he was also writing to the scattered church that had scattered because of the growing persecution, which was now writing to these different cities and around the known world, the known Roman world, was this mix of Gentiles and Jews who are identifying as a new people. And Peter, in this letter, he's addressing us as aliens and strangers. And he's saying, to you, scattered, but you are the elect. You are these chosen people of God. So when Peter is writing this, in this, when he says this, in this you hope, what's he talking about? Well, earlier in that chapter, he's saying, he's saying, praise be to the Father and Son of our Lord Jesus Christ, who because of his great mercy caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to receive an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected through faith by the grace of God to receive this at the end time. That's what he's saying. In this you rejoice. So as he's writing to them in the midst of their struggle, this fiery trial, which he's saying just for a little while you're suffering, you're grieved by these various trials. But remember, you're rejoicing in this great, incredible inheritance. Isn't that amazing? So this is a word for us to identify in the same way as we look back to God's provision in the past and we long for his great deliverance in the future. Amen? Now, Peter is wanting us to also understand that we are believers with a hope that is ultimate, the ultimate hope of salvation. We may suffer presently, but we have confidence in our eternal salvation. Peter's message is one on how we live with hope in this broken and tumultuous world. There's one specific image that Peter keeps using over and over again to Christians, aliens, strangers, and pilgrims. These different terms invoke an image in our minds and hearts to connect us with our father Abraham and the people of God. So I want us to focus on these three things that he's telling them, the result of their faith, what it will produce. He says it will produce praise and glory and honor. Praise comes out of our perspective of our journey homeward towards that eternal destination. So we're praising God because we're continually remembering what he's done for us, and we're wanting that to be known. So it's our perspective, where we orient our minds and hearts. And secondly, it's about resulting in glory that we are fellow image bearers of God. It's our position in Christ that allows us to reflect the glory of Christ to the world. And then thirdly, the honor in which our lives are meant to represent our work in this world and that is to be fellow disciple makers, fellow disciples on a journey to see others come into relationship with Christ. It's our purpose, our single most important purpose as we glorify God in this world, that we bring as many people with us. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about, are you a person of praise? Are you a person that's glorifying God because you understand your position in Christ? Are you a person honoring God with your life 
through your time and treasures and talents to be a fruit-bearing believer, living on purpose with our Savior. So let's learn through our exile, and let's learn from some fellow exiles. So now we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 126, which is one of the psalms or songs of ascents, and it's um, that middle uh, end part of uh, the psalms, uh, 15 in total, of from 120 to 134. And they're my favorite of all the psalms, and I just love to, to study in these. Um, my daughter is going to be getting married in just under two weeks, and uh, I got away backpacking with my future son-in-law up in the mountains. It was beautiful. We went away for three days, and uh, part of our goal was to memorize some of these psalms of ascent. I told him, if you're going to be my son-in-law, you've got to journey with me on these psalms. So I took him. One day we hiked 18 miles, and he still loves me, I believe. But uh, it was amazing. We were just letting these psalms uh, refresh our hearts as we climbed upward. And that's what they were meant. These, these were psalms that the, the Jews had as they went three times a year, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And... Um, these psalms are a collection from different authors, some David, some Solomon, some others, and they were meant to be a time to reflect on their homeward journey towards um, Jerusalem. In a much more spiritual sense, their journey towards Zion, their eternal home. It's an amazing resource to guide God's people in the Christian way. I love the author, uh, Eugene Peterson. He wrote a wonderful book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If you haven't read, read it, I encourage you to. It's so practical. Helps us identify with these psalms. But in the, in the heart of these is Psalm 126, which is a profound song of those holding on to their identity despite the sufferings they had experienced in exile and the disruption that had on their lives it's uh, broken in two parts. It's reflecting on the, the past deliverance of God and his redemption of them as a people, and it's reflecting on the future uh, redemption of God on his people. And uh, these are the themes that I want us to focus on as um, the Israelites had, had written this one um, after their exile in Babylon. So it's written about 500 plus years before the Peter letter. But it carries these same themes, and that's why I wanted to pair these two scriptures together. And so just listen to this. When the Lord brought back the captives from Zion, we were like those who dreamt. Then our lips were filled with laughter and our mouths with shouts of praise. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Lord, restore our captivity or restore the fortunes of Zion. Like the streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying his bag of seed, for sowing shall return again with shouts of praise, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Sit in that psalm for a minute. It's so full of amazing spiritual depth that we could spend the rest of our lives pouring into this. 
But I want to pull out some features of this psalm as we uh, explore its truths. So praise flowing from our perspective. In this psalm, I love that they're saying, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. They were so contagious in their joy, they couldn't help but shout that praise. And I think about my own life, and as I've walked in life with a lot of displaced people, Maureen and I have had the privilege of serving displaced people from all over the world. Actually, our first disciple that we ever had the joy of introducing to Jesus when we moved to Kenya in 1994 was a Somali refugee named Yaskin. He came knocking on our gate. He handed us a letter telling us his story of exile and loss and brokenness. And within two weeks, he came to faith in that journey of discipleship with him. So our hearts have always had a special place right from the beginning of our ministry to identify with people in exile, people um, forced from their homeland. And we learned so much from this young man. Our hearts truly love him so much. And so we've had this joy of walking with people in exile, whether Africans and, um, and um, uh, Syrians and others, Afghans flooding into Europe like crazy, over the last years, your church has joined us in that, whether it's working with displaced people in Sudan and other parts of uh, the Sahel, which we'll talk about later. We've been so blessed by the shouts of praise on the people of God who still recognize all of God's blessing in their life, even though they have nothing in this world to claim as their own except their faith and the glory of the Lord in their lives. It's amazing. It's a humbling learning experience. And these people can so much more identify with this psalm than me. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Joy is the characteristic of the Christian pilgrimage. Another translation said, we were like dreamers. The experience of these kind of semi-redemptive people, the returnees that they were making, it seemed like the past uh, exile was a, a, just a distant memory. There's one translation in Hebrew that said, we were like sick people who became healed from illness through the redemption. And someone who's been healed from some terrible sickness doesn't want to remember that sickness. They just remember their free body and healing. Well, in a sense, this is what's expressed in these verses we couldn't help but shout for joy because the, the exile seemed like a distant thing. Joy is the second in Paul's list of fruits of the Spirit. It is the first of Jesus' signs in the Gospel of John. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It's a consequence, people. But how often we don't live in the sense of that joy. Our lives don't express lips of praise, people of praise. Sometimes we just get so overwhelmed by the challenges of this life or what we don't have that we forget that we are called to be these people of praise to express the glories of God in this world. It is not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. 
Eugene Peterson writes, Christian joy happens in the midst of pain, suffering, loneliness, and misfortune. And we know that. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Amen? So after that comes this, you know, results in praise and then it results in glory. I believe it's glory because of our inherited position. We reflect the face and image of Christ in our lives. In this psalm it says, Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. So what the psalmist is saying is it was so evident of God's favor on these people that the nations were amazed that they were returning from their exile. And they were saying, Wow, look at these people. The Lord's done amazing things for them. I wonder about us, what our neighbors say about us. Is that their testimony Wow, the Lord has done great things for Al Becker. This guy is amazing. Carol and Al Becker, there's something different about them. They have God's favor. I know that's a testimony some of their neighbors have because that is the way they've lived in the presence of God as the glory of Christ is reflected in their lives. I know many of you in this room, that's the way you've lived out your Christian faith, that your neighbors, the people around you at work or in school, they're saying, there's something different about that person. They're taking notice because you have an inheritance that is contagious. Let us push into that all the more, but we have to do that by identifying and understanding who we are in Christ and living into that, not as Slaves to sin, but people made alive through the Spirit in Christ. We glory because of our inherited position. For the returning exiles, the effect of redemption had such an impact that even the nations of the world explained, exclaimed in wonderment that a nation exiled from its land, the Jewish people, could find its way home. There was such joy and jubilation that it was contagious. Their identity as God's people was no mystery. Think about what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, that we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we live our true nature as a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, it is evident. So I want to encourage us to do that. And let's learn from our life in exile. What are the lessons God wants to teach us so we more identify with the person of Christ in his suffering? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. What about you? Is it a secret that you belong to God and his people? Is it something you hide or is it well known in your circles of relationships and influence? The next thing we look at is that it's the praise and glory is the result of these various trials that we're experiencing but they result in praise and glory despite 
the present circumstances. I think I shared this slide with you before. It was a picture of we were having a conference in a refugee camp in um, South Sudan on the border of Sudan, and we were serving the Nuba people. And during our time, there was some persecution, even in the sense of a refugee, in this place of a refugee camp, there was still persecution on these people, and all the little rudimentary churches were burned to the ground during this time we were there. But the people, they continued just to love and celebrate the goodness. And I remember the testimony as we were gathering, even while the chars were still um, bringing out, at, you know, um, smoke, is they were celebrating God's goodness to them and that they had a chance to declare God's glory even to their oppressors. But the psalmist here makes this point kind of in between the two parts of the psalm. He says, Lord, restore our fortunes or restore our captivity. Restore our inheritance like streams in the Negev. So there's this kind of this pause of like, suffering is real. Pain is, it permeates the heart. Pain is our daily experience in the midst of our exile. It's not glossing over that. This part of the psalm is so real. It's saying, Lord, restore what was lost to us. And we might be feeling that right now. We're so full of loss because of what the locusts have eaten, what the cancer has stolen from us, what the broken relationship has cost us as a family, what the sin that we gave into resulted in. We pause and we say the sin and the pain is real in our exile in this broken world. So we cry out, restore. Restore that brokenness and restore all that was lost from the fall. When we long for the restoration in the kingdom of your son. This picture shows us what happens when you get a little rain and streams in the Negev. It bursts to life with beautiful blooms. If you go to the next slide, Restore our captivity or our fortunes like the streams in the Negev. The Negev is this desolate wilderness of, of a dry, arid ground that with a little rain during the rainy season, it bursts to life with beautiful wildflowers and different things. And that's what the Lord wants to do continually in our life, to restore us as we long for our ultimate purpose and hope in his heaven. If we go to the next slide, it goes on that exiles find their identity in Christ. I also showed you this um, last uh, couple of times when I was here. And this is uh, many, many people coming from, they're living in this refugee camp, and my, my partner in ministry named Ibrahim, who's uh, from this part of the world, he um, was just seeing so many people come to faith as the gospel went out in the midst of their exile. And now these same people are returning back to their homeland because Sudan went through a uh, revolution the last couple of years, and now things are normalizing a little bit, and we're hoping. And so ministry is picked up. People are returning homeland, and they're finding just the devastation of what brokenness and living outside of their homeland has meant, and it's rebuilding from the ground up. If you go to the next um, slide, 
We're finding just incredible young people so full of hope. And as they receive the gospel, they want to bring it to their people. And they're going back to their villages. And it's this great time of celebration. And actually, we've come up with this whole global strategy plan for the country, which involves multiple partners. And I have the privilege of stewarding this and inviting people to collaboration to see what is God going to do right now in this country that has suffered incredibly and has produced some of the world's most uh, significant uh, dispersion of people, refugees and exiles. And working with people like this young man, Julius, and these young people just to resource them for the work of gospel. And we're seeing incredible things happen. I wish I had uh, hours to share with you all the stories. Next slide. I also talked about um, in the past uh, one young man who um, has experienced exile this last year because we've had couple of waves of persecution in his country in the Horn, where um, we've just had the church is growing, people are coming to faith, especially young people, but the enemy is attacking back and putting people in prison and forcing people into exile, and he had had to escape at one point. But walking with him in discipleship and helping him and a, another partner, we call them Adam and Abel, developing their ministry strategy for their country, and they're so full of joy. He wrote me this week, they are not the first to face such persecution and they will not be the last. We have to prepare ourselves when that day of persecution comes upon us and face it with with rejoicing. That's what I'm learning from these people. I have nothing really to offer them except the word of God and some things I've learned over the years. But what they teach me daily, what they teach Maureen and I with their faith and resilience is amazing. Just in closing, I want to share the last part of this. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping will come again with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This future sense of redemption is also all about the work, living into our purpose, our calling as fellow disciple makers. It's not easy work doing the work of sowing. It comes at a cost. Just like any good farmer knows or person that works in a garden or in, in, uh, in caring for a garden, that it takes toil and labor to, to produce that beauty or that food that comes as a result. So there's weeping in that, and God is calling us to identify with Christ as we serve people in the world as disciple-makers so that we can rejoice It's the harvest that's coming. The laborers are few, but the harvest is ripe, right? Isn't that what he says? Pray for more laborers. More of us need to be willing to go in and labor and willing to go sow with tears so that we can see the sheaves, we can see the harvest brought back with us. The agricultural blessing of the land is felt more if one has put extra toil into its preparation. We acknowledge God's blessing when we see the miracle of food we receive on our tables. Let us also receive the blessing of the miracle of what God does in the human heart when we see the harvest come in souls that are become fellow alien and strangers with us as children of God, living for a new homeland. Lastly, I want to read a letter that 
um, came in April, but we've received four letters from this sister. I'm going to call her Hadessa. She's from the same country as Adam and uh, Abel. And her and her husband and four others are currently in prison awaiting the final sentencing of their trial. It's been going on for months. But this young woman of 25 who's there in that jail with her little baby who was just a couple weeks old when she went in, she has been writing the most profound letters that just have touched my heart incredible ways. And I can't wait to see her freedom and her husband She writes, first of all, brothers and sisters in Christ, thank God, and in every situation we are in, we glorify his name. We thank him, brothers. I greet you from the jail in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our trial court has been set. Keep us in your prayers, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. God to turn the court decision as he turned the position of Mordecai to Haman in the book of Esther. I would say be courageous and have the same thought and pray without ceasing. There is nothing that can can separate us from Christ, whether it is persecution or whether it is trouble or whether it is loneliness. Nothing can keep us from Christ as our Lord and our Lord and Savior. She's in there because she, she and her husband have been faithfully sharing the good news, and that was just too much for the authorities Let's pray together with her, but let's learn from her along with the other exiles in the world. And I have these four questions, then we're going to watch just a really short video, two minutes long, to help us learn how to pray for displaced people in one place in the world that's very precious to me. So as we reflect in closing, am I a person of praise? How does my perspective need reorienting today? Especially as you learn from exiles today. Am I a person of glory? How are my present circumstances robing me of my position in Christ? Am I a person of honor? How can I more intentionally be on purpose for the Lord? in seed sowing, no matter what the cost. And then lastly, just as we think about World Refugee Day, what is one thing I will do to serve displaced people? We can all do something. They're all around us. Imagine 80 million. They're all around us. So as you reflect on that, um, I'm going to ask them just to show the short video. And I'm sorry it went a couple minutes long. But let's uh, watch that and then we'll finish up.